Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing The Conjuring 2 from 2016. Directed by James Wan, written by Chad and Carrie W. Hayes, James Wan, and David Leslie Johnson. Starring Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, and Madison Wolfe. And in this film, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who have hung up their ghost hunting jerseys, come out of retirement to help a family in England who is plagued by an otherworldly entity. If you're new to the show, we're going to discuss some spoiler-free background info on the movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes, and then we are going to take a short little fake break and play some uh, transition music, and that's when you know we're headed into spoiler territory, and you can duck out and go watch this movie on Netflix uh, if you don't want the rest of the movie spoiled. So, uh, Ashwin, was this your first time seeing this since the theater? You know, I, I couldn't remember it, but when I started watching it, I, I started remembering this film. So, uh, oh yeah, I, I did see it in the theater. And I don't think I've seen it since. How about you? Same, same. It doesn't feel like that long ago, man. But uh, five years, I guess. Did Did you remember it? Like, I I was convinced for a while that I hadn't seen this one yet. Even like once I started it, uh, I then- knew I had seen it in the theater, and I I also just same. I remembered nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> except uh, one like the vision recurring vision that uh vera farmiga's character has throughout i kind of remembered that plot point but that was it yeah yeah i'm excited to talk to you about that plot point because uh that that vision is a pretty significant thing in uh for the franchise too and yeah i, I totally just blanked on it and it's weird that this movie was only five years ago and it's already kind of escaped our memories it feels like forever ago yeah yeah i guess do a time these days um, so we've got another haunted house movie, obviously. This one seemed to have a few less of the haunted house tropes than the first one did. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it took a very different approach than, yeah, the, the first one I know we just like kind of talked about it recently, but I think we felt like it was like pretty uh, stereotypical kind of haunts, right? Yeah, yeah, for better or worse. Um, but yeah, this one, this movie is like exactly the same, but pretty different <laughs> as well, which we'll talk about in the review and the plot run through. Hey, how do you differentiate between a haunted house film versus like a possession film? Like, you think this falls equally in both or more haunted house? I think this falls maybe equally in both. I think what differentiates this from a typical demonic possession is that other stuff is going on in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know that it's going to become a demonic possession film. Um, oh, sure. And there are... There are other ghouls, too, like the the demon takes multiple forms. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I think a lot of haunted house films have a demon at the uh, the core. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and, like, whereas movies like The Exorcist, it's really kind of all focused on the person who is, like, possessed, not so much as, like, crazy things happening around the house or anything. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'd say, well, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. A possession movie is definitely more focused on the person and what they're going through rather than what's going on in a house. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And really both of these movies make great use of space for their scares. And I think that is certainly a touchstone of a haunted house movie. The cinematography, you know, is a big differentiator too. Yeah, I feel like uh, that's like the real signature move of like this film and the first one is like, yeah, the camera work and how like each house and each room is kind of portrayed portrayed, and then like kind of how the darkness works in each of the scenes. Uh, that seems to be a big part of the scares. 
Yeah, and I mean, if you think back to, like, gothic horror and haunted house movies of and stories of yore, it's, like, dark corners and cobwebs and hallways yeah. that you don't know where they lead. So right. even though both of these movies take place in, I would say the first film takes place in a more traditional haunted house, and this one's kind of a smaller house, mm-hmm. um, the cinematography plays them up as to capture that that age old vibe, right? Dark corners and yeah, uh, unknown things lurking. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. A lot, a lot of similarities, uh, and like kind of a, a old, like decaying places too. Right. Actually, this they both have that kind of old, decaying vibe. Both of the houses in both of these movies. Yeah, you ever uh, and and they both have families with like a number of kids, right? Yes, correct. I feel like both of the movies we were just have X number of kids and you can't even really remember how, how many kids <laughs> yeah, exactly. there are or where they're all at. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you think that's like a, a requirement for these like haunted house or possession type stories where um, like, is there a reason we don't see these things happening in like, say like a condo in like a city uh, where just like it's, it's a, it's a husband and wife maybe without any kids or anything. Like, is there a reason like those, those kind of situations are more uh, vulnerable to these kind of hauntings? Hmm. I don't know if it plays upon childhood fears, so that might be more successful with the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives you more people to be scared. If you go back to stuff we've talked about in the men, women, and chainsaw vein of yeah. thought, viewers may not be as willing or as comfortable, possibly even subconsciously, seeing a man shriek and scream and wonder what's around each dark corner. So sure. If you just have a couple, you focus more on the woman if you're a traditional uh, horror movie um, via the male gaze, one might say. But if you've got kids, you've got more more people to react. Sure. More victims, I guess. More with. shrieking at the top, high-pitched shrieks at the top of lungs. Yeah, that makes sense. And then obviously a house uh, has more scary spots than like a condo or an apartment or something usually. Yeah. Yeah. But um, a recent haunted house movie would be his house that... uh. Oh, as yeah. just a couple. Right. Yeah, that's a good good example. Kind of breaks the norm. Yeah. Right. Uh, what about, and I think you hit on this in the Conjuring episode, the, the, the also commonality of uh, financial vulnerability, or I would say like both families are kind of, uh, seem like they're on like the lower income end and struggling. Yeah, agreed. And we talked in the first one about how theoretically maybe the financial crisis of 2008 and the housing market collapse could have been the impetus for this next round of haunted house movies and how they might represent you know people struggling to stay in their own houses but um Mm -hmm. it also is a good plot device for why the family just doesn't leave yeah yeah that's true that's true kind of have a captive audience yeah speaking of money and the opposite of being poor james wan is the eighth director in history to have two films gross over one billion wow (laughs) furious seven and aquaman Whoa, that's that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Aquaman, really? <laughs> Aquaman. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that did so well. Yeah, and The Conjuring is the second highest grossing horror franchise of all time behind Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. The Conjuring, man, like it's such a commercial success. It's crazy. Yeah, and Godzilla did that in 36 movies, and The Conjuring has done it in only seven. Wow, are oh, you talking about like the whole franchise? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did, were you surprised to see the box office numbers on this? Like how it was, like this was like 320 and the first movie was like 319, which is like $1 million apart. Yeah, they were like right on the money. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, Literally. 
What are the odds? Yeah, it's crazy. This one, the first one was made for 20 million and this one was made for 40 million, which is more, but still, I mean, with that return, it's not that big of a deal that it was double the budget. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, I feel like James Wan's a pretty important guy in the like horror films and kind of making these blockbuster horror films in the last like 10, 15 years. Yeah, man. Created the Conjuring franchise. He's the co-creator of the Saw and Insidious franchises with Lee right. Wan-El. So, yeah. yeah, man, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, what a legacy. Is he yeah. is he coming back for the third one? Oh, I'm sure he's a producer, but it's going to be directed by Michael Chavez, I believe. Oh, okay. Who did, like, um, La Llorona? The Curse of La Llorona? Yeah, he did La Llorona, correct. Okay. Uh, the Curse of La Llorona. The Curse of La Llorona, We have yeah, to yeah. specify now. Do, do you feel like James Wan is just, like, such, like, a big leagues now that he, he can't, like, come back and direct a horror film anymore? He can't, can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this conjuring... <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting. It, it'd be good to see him. It would be fun to see him come back and do that third one. Um, yeah. Even though I wasn't wild about the curse of La Llorona, I could see the potential in his direction. Yeah, yeah. I remember feeling uh, like the direction at least had uh, some promise to it. Yeah. Um, you got to wonder if James Wan is... People talk about how sometimes when a movie is produced by Steven Spielberg, you can really feel his hand. It's almost like he's directed it. Oh, sure. I kind of wonder. Yeah, I mean, even though they've tried to make each of these little franchises within the Conjuring universe, like Mm -hmm. Annabelle and The Nun, um, have their own specific feel, they, they do still really fit well into the vibe of the Conjuring movies. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I think that. I, I don't know. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes there, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if James Wan was making sure they they stick pretty closely mm-hmm. to the vibe that he wants. Yeah, I got to say, there does feel like there's some consistency, even though, yeah, you're right, they both have, they all, they all have kind of like unique elements, but yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, with uh, James Wan not doing uh, the, the next Conjuring that's coming out, uh, it looks like he is doing the next uh, Aquaman, though, in like 2022. Is he? I think yeah. I saw that, yeah. I, I don't know. I, do you lose a little respect for him on that? Um, No. Do, <laughs> do what you got to do. I mean, he's done He's done enough in the horror world that maybe he wants to branch out. I bet he'll come back. All right, all right. Did, did you see the first Aquaman? No, I didn't, and I probably never will. Did you? Yeah, I think I saw half it on a plane, and it was nonsense. <laughs> oh, man, if you think that on a plane, then you know it's bad. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> see the tusk episode for that inside joke <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah i know this had at 80 percent on rotten tomatoes and 81 percent user score compared to 86 percent critic score and 83 percent user score for the original so again these movies are just really right on pace with each other <laughs> i know pretty comparable yep yeah I found a fun fact about chad and carrie hayes who are the twin brothers who wrote uh, the first one, and uh, had a hand in writing this one. They starred in Double Mint Gum commercials as children. No way, really? Were, were they? <laughs> yeah. They were one of the twins. Yep. Oh wow. Okay, that's great. Uh, what? Uh, when did they get into like uh, writing? Um, I don't know, man. I'm not sure when they first got into it. But uh, as we mentioned in the episode on the Conjuring, they some of their notable writing includes uh, the House of Wax remake from I think. 2005 i want to say and the turning from last year oh yeah right right 
Yeah. Uh, wow, that's awesome. I'll have to look up that video of them. Yeah, right. I, I meant to do that. Those were those are fun commercials. They don't do that anymore, do they? I don't know. They were fun. Yeah, yeah, classic. Um, well, I have got to, as a rule, always read off every movie in the franchise. No. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I already did that in the episode on The Conjuring, so I will do it with a twist this time. I'm going to read them in the order that they happen in the timeline of The Conjuring universe rather than oh. their release year. This will be interesting. So 1952 was The Nun. That's when that takes place. 1955 is Annabelle Creation. 1967 is Annabelle. 1971 is The Conjuring. 1972 is Annabelle Comes Home. 1973, The Curse of La Llorona. 1977, The Conjuring 2. I read elsewhere that this was 1978, but somewhere around there. Okay. And then The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Uh, which comes out June 4th this year, 2021, by the way, in theaters and on HBO Max. That takes place in 1981. Wow. So this film is, uh, out of all the movies that have come out so far, the one that takes place like most recently in history. Correct. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't see how that plays out in the fashion. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that's was a fun part of this. Uh, but th- that's crazy that like the main movie that like is this whole franchise is following is like way ahead uh, compared to those like other offshoots. And those are all like kind of way back in the past. Right. Right. Wow. And I think we mentioned in our episode on The Conjuring that there supposedly are two movies in development, a sequel to The Nun and a spinoff called The Crooked Man based on one of the ghouls in this film. Oh, I was going to ask you about that because the way they set up The Crooked Man, it definitely felt like uh, this this could be its own movie at some point. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It sounds um, like, oh yeah, it, it sounds like when they kicked off this franchise, like uh, the the sequel was like already like in development even before the first movie was released. So it, it sounds like maybe from day one they always had the idea that like this film was going to be uh, this anchor to like kick off all these other sequels and films and like side stories, right? Yeah, it sounds like as soon as they saw how well it did with test audiences, they were getting to work on a sequel. A sequel and and then like these offshoots and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know if they went that far, but certainly they were like, all right, there's got to be something else in this, in this franchise. Yeah. But like the way, even the first one, like Annabelle was kind of like, just like using the intro basically. And like kind of mentioned like really briefly later on. And then even in this one, like uh, the the character we see that becomes another movie, uh, like the plugging in of them, like seems very uh, forced in a way where like, you know, that it's being a, it's a setup for like a future film. Right. I don't know that I would have thought that about the crooked man until the end. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I just thought of it as a way to add some more dynamics to the scares in this one. Okay. You didn't feel like, uh, in, in the first one, like Annabelle, like her character, you didn't feel like that was like kind of forced in and it's like, oh, well, they're obviously going to take this into another direction. I didn't at the time, but in hindsight, maybe, maybe it was cause it, we did com- not complain, but talk about how it really didn't have much to do with the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Part of me just wonders how much of this like whole franchise was like pre-thought versus, you know, movie by movie seeing the success and deciding like if they should take something somewhere. You're just trying to figure out why a crooked man was shoved down your throat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the crooked man. That's a that's a, yeah creepy. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so 
we we would be remiss not to mention that this film as with the first film is about a real life case that the warrens worked on uh, and Lorraine Warren, known as the Enfield Poltergeist, which was a claim of poltergeist activity that took place between 77 and 79 in London, England. And it started with a call to the police from Peggy Hodgson about furniture moving and her kids hearing knocking sounds. Um, other claims would go on to include disembodied voices and children levitating. And more than 30 people over the course of 18 months said that they witnessed this kind of stuff happening, including a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the real life events unfolded such that it was revealed that the daughter was practicing ventriloquism and was pranking people with her sister's health. Oh, was that, was that ever proven? I think it was as close to proving as you can get. I think the girls even confessed. Oh, wow. So it had, the whole thing has been debunked? Yeah. Based on what I've read. Okay. Okay, I wasn't sure. I know there are people that are like critical of it and, and skeptical of it, but and, and then like uh, the people, like some of these paranormal investigators, asked them to uh, like go back on that and say it was real. Yeah, I think some of the paranormal investigators who really had like staked their claim and said this was this is no joke were pressuring the girls not to confess. <laughs> what a weird situation. <laughs> yeah. And there's a 1992 mockumentary called Ghost Watch that was about this case. Oh, okay. Which I've heard of that movie before, but I didn't realize it was about this. I think there have been some other like TV adaptations of this story as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's one of those big hauntings like up there with like Amityville. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what that, another big haunting is. Can you, can you name another one? Um, no. I yeah. think it's, it's kind of <laughs> London's Amityville. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, have any background info on this that you want to touch on before we start heading into spoiler territory? Oh, uh, the other thing... Oh, they call, called a priest onto the set because I guess some crazy things happened the first time. Uh, I couldn't find too many details about that, though, could you? Oh, I missed that. Some crazy stuff happened on the, the first Conjuring film? Apparently, yeah, and so they had, they had a priest come and bless the set before they started, but I always think that's more for like a PR or marketing value than anything else. I'm, that's what I kind of feel like too, or maybe just to get the, everybody, the cast and crew kind of pumped up. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be spooky. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, on, on that story about like these girls and how they potentially might have faked this. Um, do you think something like that would happen today or people just wouldn't pay attention to it? Like, you know, t- today everyone's got a cell phone, they're posting videos all over the place. Um, like how, how would that kind of thing happen today or, or go about I think it would not happen today. I think there was a time in history where people were more prone to believe those things and and wanted to believe them more. I think today it would just exist on YouTube. Um, and a certain circle of people who are interested in that kind of stuff would get into it. But it's hard for me to see much stuff like that going becoming public news like it did with this story. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So you're, you're pretty convinced. But who knows? You're convinced there wasn't anything supernatural happening here then? That is my belief, but, uh, you know, that that may not be how everybody feels about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. All right. We welcome you. Yeah. <laughs> Open <laughs> to suggestions. Yeah. Cool, man. Anything else before I hit the Ohio connection? Uh, no, let's hear it. All right. As always, our friend Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. 
and Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, which is now open again for patio dining, retail carryout, and Uber Eats. If you're a listener in the Cleveland area, we know who at least one of you is. Now is your chance to go enjoy that patio or at least get some delicious pierogi via Uber Eats. Um, And we are waiting for that to happen. Uh, So Alex says, The Conjuring 2 is a supernatural horror sequel which follows two paranormal investigators, the Warrens, as they travel to England exploring the true life Enfield poltergeist which plagued a home and two young girls in the late 1970s. The script was co-written by returning director James Wan, the Hayes brothers who wrote the original, and new collaborator David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. Johnson McGoldrick got his start in film as a production assistant to Frank Darabont on The Shawshank Redemption and has an impressive writing career having penned the scripts for Orphan, Red Riding Hood, Aquaman, and 12 episodes of The Walking Dead. He also wrote the scripts for upcoming films The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It and Aquaman 2. Johnson McGoldrick graduated from Lexington High School near Mansfield and and the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, wow. What a twist. I thought he was going to go with the Shawshank Redemption I know. Connection. I complimented him on that for uh, driving right by that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, he never likes to repeat himself, uh, which is good. Yeah. He keeps us on our toes. And I, yeah, I got to see uh, the Alex in the, see, see the patio uh, a few days ago. And uh, yeah, best, best uh, patio I've seen in Cleveland. It's an awesome bar. Highly it really recommend is, it. Man. I can't wait to get back there. Yeah. That's yeah, cool yeah. that you got to go. Yeah, you know, I forgot to call him in advance, but luckily uh, he recognized me when I got there. So it worked, <laughs> worked out. I mean, he probably hasn't seen you in years now. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And uh, he's, he looks pretty good. He's grown his hair out. Good good luck on them. And they're doing a great job on the patio. Uh, nice. Good Good beer menu. So it was a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, man. Well, you ready to uh, spoil some stuff and walk through the plot and review as we go here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, um, you know, before we do that, I promised my kid I would play hide-and-seek with him before he goes to bed. Do you mind if I just do a quick round of that and come right back? Oh, sure. Yeah, knock yourself out. All right, I'll be right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, how'd it go? Oh, it was fine. He always tells me where he's going to hide, which kind of ruins it. <laughs> then he's in there. Yeah. Uh, you know who else apparently has a tendency to tell you right off the bat how to defeat them is uh, centuries-old demons. <laughs> I know. You can always count on them to tell you that. <laughs> and make a haunting boring. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. That's, yeah, yeah. I was, I was kind of struggling with that uh, plot point at the end. <laughs> All uh, right. I, well. I, I don't know if that's like a rule. Like, uh, I don't know. Are there games where like you got to give someone? It, it, I guess it's kind of like a <laughs> riddle, but I, I don't know. It's yeah. I, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk more about that when we get there. It's a bit puzzling. Sure, it could be a power play. I, I just want to throw it out there, but yeah, let's right. Maybe. Say uh, extreme uh, cockiness. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably what your son was doing to you. It's like, I'm going to tell my dad where I am, and he's still so dumb, he won't find me. <laughs> my dad is so fucking dumb. Yeah. He's I'm hiding in the fun. closet. The closet, dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, not that one, dad. <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> Follow my voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so this movie begins with Ed and Lorraine participating in a seance in the Amityville house to try to determine if a demon was behind Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s murder of his entire family. During the seance, we delve into Lorraine's psyche and we see her as Ronald walking into each child's room, holding an imaginary gun in her hand and shooting each of them. And uh, when she walks by a mirror, we see that her reflection is that of Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s and he's he's holding a real gun in the reflection, even though her hands are empty. Um, what did you think of this scene, Ashwin? It's pretty uh, pretty real for a, a Conjuring movie. It really is. Yeah, it's like disturbing to see these like little kids getting uh, killed and like shot in bed. But uh, it's also like such. I thought it was like a great tribute to the Amityville horror. And it's like you didn't have to like even like go out and see that movie. It's just kind of packed here in this like kind of condensed uh, format. What What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I I mean, I kind of wanted her to be holding a real gun. Oh. Like <laughs> that sounds that sounds a little fucked up of me, but uh, I just think it would have made it that much more like holy shit! Like, oh, here yeah. we go. Yeah, um, but I think they that would have maybe been too intense for a Conjuring movie. Yeah, to see like Vera holding a gun, like shooting at a kid. shooting kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I wanted that. Yeah, no, that that would have been really dark. It would have been interesting. Hey, what do yeah, you think of that guy's vest? Dark. Yeah, what? <laughs> Oh, what did you think of the that that the shooter guy, like the vest he was wearing? <laughs> I just, I think those I are back in fashion. I and I got one last year, but I feel weird about wearing it. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Uh, I didn't even notice it, man. It, it blended right right in with his uh, murderous look. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I is is it the vest that? Oh, so you think the vest is like part of the murderous look then? <laughs> I, I, I wear think. mine, and I and I feel like a like a mom in the suburbs. So I, I don't know how he makes it look so cool. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought it was a good look. All right, well, maybe uh, just try it, see how it looks. If you feel a little bit too much like a mom, just carry a shotgun around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm missing. I think that's that's the key here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I remember one time in high school, I was driving down the road and I saw this dude who always kind of intimidated me that I went to high school with. And he yeah. was walking down the street in a suit with a wooden baseball bat slung over his shoulder. Whoa, that's pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> if you weren't intimidated before, like that would do it. Yeah, yeah, that was it for me. Wow. I peed my it, pants right in my own car. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't get any context on that, right? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Explain to yourself. Um, okay, so yeah. We see her go through the house as Ronald LeFeo Jr. killing these kids. And after she kills the kids, the spirit of one of them leads her to the basement where she encounters a demon dressed as a nun that shows her a premonition of Ed's death via impalement, like a big, giant, pointy stake goes through him. Um, So what did you think about this next part? It kind of drifted away from that disturbingness into the usual paranormal stuff that we expect from the franchise uh yeah i mean it kind of caught me by uh surprise that like they were laying this on so early and uh yeah this like basement scene just kind of felt like a rehash of like the first film conjuring of like ghosts popping out in the basement um so yeah i was i wasn't too impressed by it but what about you yeah i wasn't super impressed and um it as so many things even though this is um, a disturbing um kind of offshoot for the franchise to have this scene where she's killing these kids um 
it did feel very much in step with the first one of having this tangential intro that you know doesn't quite relate to the main story but has some important nuggets um and it it was cool to see like okay the stakes are high we we know that she's got a premonition of ed's death so um, oh yeah that that kind of excited me like oh cool we might actually lose one of the main characters and that the like the threat of that feels like it might have some weight right right yeah, so I would give this opening a little bit more props than the opening in the first one, which was all about Annabelle, because Annabelle just kind of was in the story as her own separate thing, and this one really weaves into the the main story here. Right, right, yeah. With sure. the nun. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned we see the nun down there. Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, uh, I you know, in the first one too, like they're in a basement, right? So it was, was this setting supposed to be anything similar to the first one? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, the basement's later in the movie, right? It concludes in the basement. Uh, in the oh, first in, part, one. in the first one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this wasn't like meant to be the same basement, right? No, no. Okay, not at all. Different family. Okay. Um. So from there, we transition to London, England, where we meet the Hodgson family. There's a single mom with four kids, two young boys, and two girls who seem to be older than the boys. And we meet a little boy with a stutter, which always works for me to endear me to a character. <laughs> kind of makes and, it, uh, gives him like a realistic trait. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we meet the youngest daughter, Janet, who will become the center of the plot. And uh, again, similar here in that you go from this opening scene and transition to the family. Ed and Warren are out of the picture for a while as we get to know the family. We get a tracking shot through the... Uh, entire upstairs of their house just like they tracked through the house in the first one um so right off the bat I, you can see a lot of similarities in so- style and even in substance in the structure of the story here yeah i, I love those shots uh, even in the first one yeah when, they, when they're like following one of the characters like through the house and stuff i think that's a really cool way to portray yeah it. yeah and i think um it helps i think subconsciously it kind of helps to just establish uh, for the, the audience, what the house is like and what the layout is like so that you're not so disoriented and confused when they uh, have things popping out every which way and kind of use the camera to trick you on where to expect things to come from later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, right, right. I, I think maybe, I don't know for sure, but maybe that would all be a little bit more disorienting if we didn't have these tracking shots at the beginning of these films. I think you're right, but like disorienting in a good way where it like makes it scarier or uh, do you think these tracking shots kind of give you a false sense of being grounded and then um, then you also like feel more surprised when something like comes out of nowhere? I think they ground you a little bit more in the, the actual space of the home. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah. Um, so that they can utilize it in a, yeah, in a disorienting way, in a beneficial type of way instead of just like, wait, where are they now or what's happening? Yeah. And- <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was a three-bed, two-bath. <laughs> what, there are three quarter baths now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Janet, this this girl who um, will become the center of the plot, she plays with a Ouija board with her friend, and after that, all sorts of supernatural occurrences start to take place in the house. Uh, and we get a little bit of character development here. One of the questions Janet asks the Ouija board is why her dad left. And for the it, first... F- oh, go ahead. Oh, is it why her dad left or if, if she'll ever see her dad again? Maybe if he'll ever come back, something like that. Yeah, right, right, okay. Why did he think he looked good in that vest when he left? 
<laughs> what pulled that vest together so well? <laughs> uh, for the first 45 minutes or so of the movie, it's um, basically just supernatural occurrences taking place in the household. And they kind of escalate as they did in the first one. Um, noises, banging, beds shaking. Eventually there's levitating and the girl Janet sees an old man who says that this is his house. And we meet the crooked man at some point here too, right? Who comes out of the little uh, spinning thing that's called a zoetrope. Oh, is that what that's called? I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that until now. It's kind of like an old toy that's almost like a primitive animation where you spin this thing and it looks like a picture is moving. Wow. I can't believe uh, they even made that toy. Like, who who made that thinking that this isn't going to give every child, like, bad dreams? Right, and this isn't going to scare the shit out of people. It was yeah. made and, in, like, invented in the early 1800s, which makes it wow. even creepier. Oh, my God. That'd be so cool to have one of those. Yeah. It's probably invented right around the time as the Ouija board. Or no, maybe oh. that was. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I, you know, I, I thought, uh, I, I know you, th- you're, you think like a lot of this, these scares and like this buildup is similar to the first one. I think so at this point, but, um, it, it, it's a little less haunted housey and more like focused on this old man named Bill. Yeah. this like disgruntled old, old ghost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought there was something a little more creative with these because the ones I remember from the first one is like you had, uh, hand claps going around and, um, they just like the, the things felt a little more subtle, uh, like a, a, a match being lit in like a basement and stuff. These ones, I thought each kid was kind of experiencing something, uh, like pretty unique between, uh, a chair rocking by itself or like a fire truck coming out of a tent or, um, yeah, at night, like kind of talking in different voices, uh, that kind of thing. These felt a little more intense to me than, than the first one, but what do you think? Um, I think they felt more intense, but it, it, um, I preferred that the first one kept things a bit more subtle. Yeah, it was a lot more subtle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why, why would you want subtle though? This is like a haunted horror movie. Like, why, why would you want subtle scares? I guess I just don't want to see too much too soon. Um, (laughs) and I guess we said that there aren't many, uh, haunted house tropes in this, but a toy car driving itself. You just mentioned a bunch of them, like a chair rocking by itself and yeah. someone talking to someone who's not there. Yeah. But uh, I think there was a little less subtle here with the seeing Bill and hearing his voice and then seeing the crooked man. Um, what did you think of this scene and how it looked when the dog turned into the crooked man? Uh, it kind of took me out of the element a little bit. I, I thought it was like pretty CGI heavy. Uh, it wasn't into it as so much as, as like the other scares. What, what about you? I agree. I thought it was a little CGI heavy, even though the Crooked Man is not necessarily CGI. I think obviously the dog morphing into him was, and it, it looked a little cheesy. It had a little uh, Nightmare on Elm Street vibe actually to it. Yeah. So that that wasn't CGI. Uh, the Crooked Man was not CGI when he wow. formed into the Crooked Man from a dog. Yes, that uh, that was CGI. But the Crooked yeah. Man is played. By a guy named Javier Botet, who, uh, he was one of the ghouls in his house. Um, mm-hmm. He played the leper in the new It movie. He was Big Toe Corpse in Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I still haven't seen. He played Slender Man in the film of the same name, and he played yeah. Mama in uh, that film from like 2013, maybe? Mama with um, that wow. lady who's really yeah, yeah. pretty. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Chastain? Yeah, there you go. 
Yeah. Uh, wow. What? what <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. I got to look this guy up. He probably. Yeah. He's uh, a, he's a go-to monster actor in horror films. He's got something called Marfan syndrome, which is a genetic disorder that affects connective tissue. Um, it makes him like really tall and thin with long arms, fingers, wow. legs, toes, and he has overly flexible joints. Holy shit. <laughs> it's like made for these roles. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see some actors who have certain genetic disorders, um, like who go on to become recurring actors in horror movies. Like they're, they're leveraging these things. Like um, that, uh, anything for Jackson body guy. Yeah. Contortious. That dude. Or, um, the guy from Gerald's game, he's been in a bunch oh, of stuff. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, Oh, I can't think of his name now. I want to say it's Michael something, but the guy from the original, The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm blanking on that name. But yeah, it's kind of cool to see them um, utilize that for, for these roles. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that, is, that is a good use of, use of this. Um, um, that, that's cool, man. Uh, yeah, but, but, so you felt like the, the, this one was like, uh, this one looked like probably the worst out of all the scares? Certain parts, um, like when he turned to the crooked man from the dog that looked bad and there was a scene where he like uses his cane to trip the boy that looked bad mm-hmm. um i don't think the crooked man himself looks bad though okay it was just like the conversion stuff. Yeah, yeah yeah what do you think okay yeah yeah i i kind of thought like i know we seen like later again and he he attacks uh and i, I just kind of figured it was still kind of like graphic or something but it also just might have been the way he was moving um because yeah he's such like a different character compared to like the other ghosts that like come out in this movie yeah and who knows there may have been some motion capture stuff like his outfit could have been partially cgi or something so there, sure. there could have been some computer stuff in there mixed in yeah yeah um i i really thought uh the uh d- d- there's a scene where he's looking into the tent when the car goes in there and someone like screams from him like did you get a jump scare then um Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. It got me a few times with jump scares. This movie. yeah, it got me a few times. It was scary. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the spirit of this old man that we've been seeing, I think his name's Bill Watkins, um, or Wilkins maybe. It's Bill. I think Wilkins. Yeah. Okay. So he, uh, Bill, eventually possesses Janet, and uh, eventually the news media learns about all this, and it gets escalated to the Catholic Church who sends the Warrens to investigate on their behalf as a way to distance themselves from the situation as they don't want to be associated with it if it turns out to be a hoax. Um, So Lorraine is very hesitant this time because she's basically told Ed in a previous scene that she wants to retire from this. The vision of Ed's death uh, from the Amityville house really freaked her out and made her believe they can't be messing with this stuff anymore. Um, but they decide that they can't leave this family high and dry, so they go to England. And similarly with the first movie, they they do take their time and stretch things out. I know that was something we talked about in the first review. Um, mm-hmm. It's an hour into the movie before the Warrens even learn about this case. Yeah. It's a long movie. It's two hours and 14 minutes. Yeah, yeah, it is a long movie. And it's weird because you kind of have like shots going back and forth a, a little bit, right? Because you see a little bit of the Warrens in L.A. and like the, their life there. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. They toggle a little bit, but it is mostly focused on this family. Right, right. For this yeah. portion of the film. Yep. Um, anyway, before they leave for England, Lorraine has another vision of the nun and it tells her its name, which she scribbles down in her Bible. But as the viewer, I don't think we really realize that that's what's happening, right? 
Yeah, we think like she's just kind of stabbing uh, out of like fear or something. Her Bible, right? Like, like yeah, it's because she's like writing in the Bible with like a letter opener and just like carving into the Bible. So we don't really know what's going on or what what she's reacting to, right? About this vision. Um, but Ed and Lorraine, they go on with the trip anyway. They get there, they meet the family. Ed forms a bit of a bond with Janet, who misses her dad, and he endears himself to the family with that Warren swagger we all know so well. He fixes a bunch of stuff in their house, like he fixed the old car in the first one. Yeah. Uh, Did this bother you? <laughs> it didn't bother me as much this time, now that I've no, gotten okay. to know Ed. Uh, yeah, it kind of pissed me off. I mean, like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like this all-American dude, like fixing the sink, bringing records, singing them Elvis and stuff. Like, come on, man. Yeah, he plays them guitar and does an Elvis impression. Yeah, yeah. It kind of feels like in both these movies, especially this one, that like Ed and Lorraine just kind of like tool around with the families for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I imagine they're I, like eating all their food and clogging their toilets. <laughs> I don't know. They they see themselves as like these uh, saviors, uh, and like I think like even Lorraine like says like oh well let's go help this family become a family or they they need help like kind of uh, falling like being with each other and like being in love or something. So I, I just feel like they, they kind of come in almost like a like a reality TV show uh, where they're like fixing a family or something. Yeah. Oh man, that'd be a lot of fun as a spoof. <laughs> yeah. Right. You just go to someone's house and like start babysitting their kids and uh, trying to fix things, but actually breaking them. <laughs> I'd like to see that as like an SNL skit when the third Conjuring movie comes out. Oh yeah, <laughs> like who invited you here? What do you guys do? <laughs> um, so Ed, uh, he has discussions with Bill via Janet, as Bill is possessing Janet, and they learn that Bill was an old man who really did die in this house in the chair in the living room before the Hodgson family moved in. And there's a team of other paranormal investigators there, which is true to the actual occurrence that happened. There was a whole team there that had varying opinions on whether this was real or not. And that's what happens here. And we get a few scenes of some tension within the group become because some believe and some don't. Uh, And the second act just kind of goes on from there with uh, Ed fixing stuff and um, some creepy stuff happening along the way. But the third act of the film is set into motion by an occurrence in which Janet is caught on camera faking some paranormal activity. We see her throwing some plates. We see her bending a spoon. P.S. Props for bending a spoon as a preteen, right? I know. I was surprised, like, no one's like, wait, like, she's a kid. How is she bending the spoon? Even, like, throwing a table across the room. Uh, Yeah, like, it was a giant soup ladle type thing. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we see her doing it on video, so it's got to be her. But like, still, like that's pretty suspicious that the kids are able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I could have done that as a preteen or a post-teen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I could do that right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was a little suspicious that this next plot point is then that the Warrens, along with everyone else who's on these paranormal teams, see this, and they're like, "Well, shit, the gig, the jig is up." Like she's faking everything, um, and they they leave because this appears to be a hoax. I think the big thing for them to justify the leaving is that they're agents of the church and they can't really in good will or good faith to the church stay any longer because it's so clear that it's a hoax. Yeah. yeah. Um, But still they had seen so much up to that point for them to just throw it all away based on this one video. It seemed a little odd because Janet's possessed, right? So how did they know that Bill is not just doing that via Janet's body? 
Yeah, 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 totally. I know it was weird they didn't like question that or like try to push back on that at all. But I, I think they just uh, probably thought the video would like shut down any discussion at the church, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But, but um, yeah, another. I, oh, go ahead. You kind you, you kind of get the impression that they still believe the family. Like they don't come out and say that we don't believe you guys. It's more just uh, we we can't do too much for you, right? Right, right. Like our hands are kind of tied at this point now that this evidence is out there. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that pushes them away is that Lorraine cannot sense any presence there. Oh, um, yeah. And so they decide to leave, and they're in a train on the way to the airport, and they have this realization and check. They play this this audio from two different scenes in the movie where Janet, as Bill Possessed, is saying two separate things. And when they merge those two things together, they play both of the recordings at the same time. She's saying like every other word of a complete sentence in both instances, <laughs> which is a little silly. It's super silly, man. <laughs> like why? Why would that ever happen? I know. I mean, why? It's why just so that you can have like that, that scene. There's like no other justification. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And even like how it came to him, like he drops the suitcase and he sees the tape. And like, how does it, how does he go from that to being like, oh wait, let me put these two tapes together. You gotta listen to this because I got a feeling both of these parts go together. And you gotta think they're like hours of tape. So for him to find like a clip of like five random seconds uh, from like two separate incidents and, and put them together, uh, that's just so ridiculous, man. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Chalk yeah. it up to that, Ed Warren swagger. Yeah, yeah, only Ed Warren could pull that off. Um. So, yeah, the tape says something to the effect of Bill saying, like, it won't let me leave or it won't leave me alone, like, mm-hmm. which leads Ed and Lorraine to realize there's another demon controlling or another entity controlling Bill and Bill's just a pawn. Um, and that demon was blocking Lorraine's super ghost vision into seeing the presence there. Um so they turn around and head back to the house all in a tizzy. And when they get there, things have gone pretty sour. Janet has locked the rest of her family out of the house and she's in there alone. She's in a second story window looking like she's going to jump. And Ed tries to get in, but the demon won't let him in the house. He finally finds a way in by breaking into the basement. Lorraine is super worried about him and they have this kind of goodbye moment because she's still very attached to this premonition of his death and she feels like this is when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So as she watches from outside, she sees lightning strike a tree in the front yard right underneath this window. And when the tree snaps in half, it it forms this sharpened point uh, where it broke. Then the sharpened point looks exactly like what impaled Ed in her vision. So as Janet tries to jump out this window, Ed catches her and they're both hanging there from this window above this sharpened tree. He's hanging onto a curtain that's going to break at any moment and send him and Janet falling to the ground or to their impalement. Um, and at this moment, Lorraine remembers that if she knows the demon's name, it can weaken it. And she remembers her vision that she had when she was holding her Bible. She remembers that the demon told her its name. She runs to the car and gets her Bible, runs into the house, goes upstairs where they're about to fall. And she sees the nun there in the corner. Who's the nun is the one controlling bill and arranging this whole situation. She says something to the effect of, I banish you back to hell, Valak, which is its name, or Valak. Mm-hmm. And uh, this vanquishes a demon, and Janet is freed of the possession, and Ed pulls her back to safety. 
<laughs> what did you think of this scene where she banishes the demon back to hell? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I was frustrated because like she she knows what she has to do. She comes into that room. She sees like her husband and and uh, that girl about to like fall out the window. Uh, and so I'm just like yelling, like say the name and like save them. But she's like pausing for a few minutes uh, and like yelling her husband's name instead. Uh, it's I, I got kind of frustrated. And then like, it's kind of cool to see like the nun taunting her from the side because uh, we we hadn't seen like the nun in like action like so much uh, until this point. Um, and then, so yeah, when she says the name, I, I thought that was kind of cool how, uh, the nun just is like totally surprised and like taken back. And even though like she shouldn't have been surprised cause she gave the, uh, Lorraine her name. Like, <laughs> yeah. What was ago. the reason for giving Lorraine the name? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. You remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Valak was drunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> put, put this number in your phone. Yeah, exactly. What? Who is this? Yeah, where'd you get my number from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the, the sequencing and like how things went out was a little frustrating uh, with this last one, but uh, I thought the effects looked cool. What, what did you think? Yeah, I thought the moment itself was a little hokey just because it was come by in a silly way. Um, like the demon told her its name earlier in the movie, but I also noticed about myself that I had chills at this moment. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> but I was like laughing at the movie and at myself for having chills. But like, that's what the Conjuring movies do. They, I think they really find a way to suck you in. They're just so like, uh, they're so popcorny and effective at like taking you along for the ride, even when it's hokey. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, you're pretty vested in, like, you think, like, uh, yeah, I, uh, like, uh, did, did, did it, like, uh, like the whole, like, curtain kind of getting pulled, like, ring by ring, I feel like that, like, really built up, like, the tension and suspense, and, like, you just think, like, she's gonna die, or, like, they're gonna fall or something. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what's gonna happen. It's, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, as the movie wraps up, we get a touching moment between Janet and Lorraine, um, and uh, I really wanted someone to approach Ed and be like, by the way, Ed, you owe us $20,000 for all the property damage. Because <laughs> when he was like breaking into the house to get to Janet, he like yeah. broke every possible thing he could. Oh, man. Yeah, this house was destroyed. So destroyed. But but luckily, he knows how to fix everything. So I'm sure. Yeah, that he's going to part... fix it all up while he plays guitar. Yeah. You think that's what part three is going to be? <laughs> Just like Ed working on the house, <laughs> playing guitar. Um, so the movie closes then with uh, what's probably a teaser for a future Crooked Man movie. Ed puts the zoetrope in their little room of haunted things, and it sits right across from Annabelle. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah, I, I it totally felt like they were setting something up, so I, I didn't realize that was already in progress. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. So, uh, what do you what do you think of this movie, man? You, uh, how does it stack up to the original? I actually thought it was a lot better. I, I feel like you and I were pretty uh, mixed on on the original and like weren't t- too taken by it. It felt kind of forgettable. I thought this one like kind of amped it up and like had like a very diverse set of scares and uh, it, it was long, but like the the whole build up before like the Warrens get there, I thought like you had some really great scenes and like a lot of like pretty good uh, original jump scares that get to you and like the nun was like pretty scary. So I, I just thought like visually, if it felt a lot scarier and a lot more fun uh, for me than the first one. Uh, did you feel like that at all? I didn't necessarily feel like that. Um, and I think we, I mean, we gave it like a three and a half, the first one, right? Oh, we did. Okay. Probably. Or at least yeah. I, I gave the first one a three and a half. I feel like you were close, like at least at three. Probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did. We do have mixed feelings, right? Like they're not 
amazing, but there's also something about them, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, right. And even though I only gave the first one a three and a half, I still, I think I believe I said it was still one of the best haunted house movies of all time. It just did everything right, even if it wasn't always incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel similarly with this one. I actually felt like the scares were a bit less inventive than the first one. Really? Like it almost felt like horror for kids in some ways. Why? Really? Yeah, I didn't find Bill very scary, just like a creepy old man. Um, and even though I like the Crooked Man, he's got a very Are You Afraid of the Dark vibe, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I didn't think the Crooked Man was like too scary at all. And Bill, I, I don't know if Bill was supposed to be scary. I just felt like he was very relatable as like a demon. Like, if he came back as an old man as a ghost, wouldn't that be you like stealing the remote control from like uh, a kid <laughs> watching TV to watch like Mag- Margaret Thatcher or something or seeing like Get Out of My House and that kind of thing? Where's my vest? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it just seems like that, that he was like a curmudgeon that you could relate with. And yeah, I, I didn't feel like he was necessarily scary, but uh, the, the nun I thought was like scarier than anything we saw in the first one. The nun, I'm, I yeah, I guess she's scary. Something about her really reminds me of Marilyn Manson. Oh, <laughs> like the <laughs> black lipstick probably. I think takes a little bit away from it. Sure, sure. Uh, and I'm not uh, the only one who thinks that. You can find some uh, some memes on online. Oh, really? Comparing those two? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, uh, yeah, I I guess if you see that, it's, you see, if every time you see her, you see Marilyn Manson, that yeah, that isn't very scary. Yeah, I think some of the scares in the first one were were more effective. Um, like that one yeah. scene, just and s- subtle but still creepy. Like remember the hanging feet above Lorraine's head at one point in the first one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when she was outside. Yeah, like stuff like that I thought really yeah. got me. Um, sure. And yeah. uh, even the, the Bathsheba demon, I liked her a little bit more than the nun, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought the scariest thing was the painting of the nun. You were oh, just man. waiting for it to come alive. I, I know. I thought that, that, that scene really scared me because, uh, yeah, you know, like she's about to pop out and like it's like in the dark, too. So like all you see is like the face and you can't really see much more. Yeah, yeah, um, and and uh, I think the scene is even in like the trailers. But um, when she's in the room where all the crosses are turning upside down, and then the old dude like pops out from like a dark corner, uh, I, th- I thought that was like pretty freaky. Okay, I I remember that scene. I don't remember being particularly freaked out by it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but that, that, I think you bring up a good distinction. Like the the scares in the first one are are more subtle, and maybe uh, you prefer like those kind of subtle scares, whereas like this one had more on the nose type uh, scares. Yeah, it had more like out and about creatures. Yeah, right. right. Um, one thing that I think they both do well is the direction and the cinematography, as we kind of already discussed. They do a great job leading you to expect something coming from one angle and having the scare come from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know every horror movie does that to an extent, but it is elevated in these movies. It's done better, it's done more subtly, and Mm -hmm. it just works better too. Yeah, I know. And it's like a great combination of like camera work, uh, sound design, uh, lighting, like it it all, they, they just use it so well. Yeah, yeah. James Wan really, really has that down. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not doing Aquaman any favors though, unfortunately. What did you, <laughs> what did you think of the plot, um, not the plot, the the plight of this family and the family as characters compared to the plight of the family and the family as people in the first one? 
Uh, I, I like them a little bit more. Like uh, here you have like a single mother struggling financially. Uh, she was like dealing with loss, uh, like, you know, bitter uh, feelings and struggling to take care of her kids. Uh, very relatable. Or I mean, like, yeah, you could totally like, kind of uh, uh, feel for her in, in her situation there. And then uh, even at, like the kids, I felt like there were, I want to say they were like one or two fewer than, I'm still not even sure how many there were in that first film. <laughs> but I, I got to think there were fewer here. And I, I like that they gave the kids a little bit more uh, character, character uh, or like personality. Like, yeah, you know, personality uh, and more agency. Exactly, and more agency. Yeah, yeah, right. So I, I, I thought the characters were better. Did you feel that way? I think so too. Yeah, I actually really liked um, the parents in the first one. Um, I can't remember those actors. Ron, Ron something, Ron Livingston and Lily Taylor. Yeah, right, I thought right. they did great um, as actors, and and the, they focused more on them as the characters. Mm-hmm. But I liked the focus being on Janet, and I thought the girl who played Janet, um, she was great. She did amazing. Uh, is that Madison Wolf or something? Madison Wolf, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was she did a amazing. Really awesome performance for somebody her age, from anybody right. any age. Yeah, yeah, she did a great job. That is really interesting that the focus is off the parents and on the kid and like the difference that makes. Um, yeah, I actually thought like I, I understood and and sympathized with the mom's plight in this, but she was just kind of like in the background being mopey for a lot of yeah. it. I thought, <laughs> which was fine. I think I, it was. I'm glad they had the focus on Janet. Yeah, 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 me too. Yeah, the, the mom kind of uh, slipped into the background a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so you agree, like, the you like the characterizations and, and the kids better in this one? Yeah, and I also thought that the focus on Janet and having her miss her dad and Ed being a father figure in some little ways, like, it told a more straightforward story to me, like, everything was a bit more focused where I think one of my complaints with the first one was, okay, we've got this whole family as characters and we've got the Warrens as characters and the Warrens kind of have this whole Annabelle situation going on at home and the first one, and they have the story of this family and it's felt like two disconnected uh, stories. And in this one, I felt like all their stories wove together very well. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lorraine is plagued by this vision, and that was b- via a demon that was also haunting this family. Um, it it all wove together much better, and and they connected mm-hmm. with the family more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Though, I you know, one thing that really bugs me about the Warrens in this one is I feel like they try to throw uh, more about like the relationship between Ed and Lauren. Like they they would each like uh, take time to like tell their story about how they grew up and then like they found the person they loved and there's just this kind of like underlying subtext about like all oh, these two are just like so in love with each other and can't afford to lose one another and it felt i don't know like it kind of like uh felt like it wasn't really needed and maybe kind of pulled away from the plot like i don't really care about like you guys that much or like how you found each other or whatever um just stick to like the this family and, like the scares but did you ever find like their story or like their message uh distracting no i didn't i remember I guess I would just found it a little less distracting than some of the stuff between them in the first one. Cause they had that in the first one, but it was just like all about their religion and like what they believed in God, which is fine. But, uh, I, I found that like, it didn't really connect me to them as much as their, even though it's a little hokey. Um, mm-hmm. this was a just bit more relatable. Yeah. <laughs> They just feel like a, a couple like on a honeymoon or something. This whole <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they're always starry eyed over each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the movie ends with like them dancing together, right? It does. It's it certainly does. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, even though I thought the writing was better in terms of like the overall story, it also had some really silly elements that we already have discussed a bit, like the whole playing the tapes at the same time, the demon giving Lorraine its name for some weird reason. There's a lot of like little tiny plot. Um, I wouldn't call them tiny. There's plot holes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Like, uh, it's, it's, yeah. And uh, I don't remember like glaring plot holes in the first ones in here. Like you at least had like two or three, which kind of, kind of made the whole thing uh, a little suspicious. Yeah. Um, also we didn't really mention it, but I think part of the way Lorraine finds out that she can take the demon's power away with it by saying its own name is because she sees Bill in a vision and he tells her a riddle that's like, uh, I don't know, you had me when you were born, or I was given when you were born, um, I'm with you until you die. Yeah. Something, some a few more lines, but her and Ed realize in the car that it's a name, and that's how she discovers. So it's like, why is Bill there telling her a riddle? Like, why uh-huh. couldn't he just say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it wasn't a very efficient way to go about this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, there, there are little beefs like that. But overall, I felt yeah. from the, the perspective of somebody sitting in a seat eating popcorn, the script was better in terms of being able to connect to the story. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt the same way, too. Did it Did it feel a little bit longer? Yeah, it did. did. It did feel longer, and it was longer. Yeah, uh, two hours and fourteen minutes, and the first one was an hour and fifty-two. I think mm. that's long for a scary film. I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hours and fourteen minutes. That that's long for a yeah, haunted house I, movie. I, sure, I, I actually I, I watched it in two uh, chunks. Did you, you see it all in one sitting? I I did it in chunks as well. Okay. It actually it helped to make it feel less long. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was, I, was, I was starting to drag a little bit for me, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm surprised. Uh, I, I feel like this could have been edited down a bit, perhaps. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would choose to edit down. I think some I of the cut, scenes with Bill. I would cut the Warrens out of it. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> about this family and uh, yeah, who cares about the name? Just let them all die or something. I've grown <laughs> to appreciate the Warrens. Really? Oh, For, man, I thought you were like, uh, you got me on like team hating the Warrens after the last <laughs> one. I mean, I, I I hate them in many ways, but like they are who they are and they the movies wouldn't be them without them. Do you feel like there's an element of them where they feel like they're these superheroes like and they're here to like save a family and they've got like the power of the church behind them uh, and, and like it, it, this kind of like becomes a superhero movie in a way? Yeah, man, that's why that's why I've been calling it Swagger. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what he's bringing to the table. <laughs> yeah, they really do. I mean, they they come in there like they're hot shit. They know everything. A little bit less so in this one. I thought it was even more severe in the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the first one, yeah. I mean, they, like they end up like doing a uh, having to do an exorcism on their own. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting in this one too to uh, see Lorraine like. I think Ed's the one who finally completes the exorcism in the first one to save the day, but even though Ed is the one kind of saving Janet, Lorraine really saves the day with, with the demon name. Yeah, yeah, she solves the riddle. Yeah. Or, like, I guess, yeah, she figures out the name and everything, yeah. Yeah, Ed, I guess they really are a team, because Ed solves the riddle, but Lorraine has been given the name. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. It kind of like shows like how they partner together and and, and like save the day. Yeah, and I uh, this is the part of the show where I bring up Men, Women, and Chainsaws by Carol J. Clover. <laughs> We've talked about how she says often in horror films, the woman's body is sacrificed so that the man's psyche can be sacrificed. Like a woman's body is put on the line so that a man's psyche can be put on the line. Oh, sure. The woman is really in physical peril and the man is the one worrying about it or beating himself up over it or, you know, trying to resolve it. But, and this, it's a little bit of a flip because you have Janet as a woman in peril and Ed is saving her, but now Ed is in peril. His body is on the line and really Lorraine's psyche has been on the line the whole time because she's been plagued by this threat of his body being on the line. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. They, they, I like that. They were, they flipped that equation. Yeah. It's awesome. a little bit of a flip. Yeah. In a movie right, right. where, uh, Ed and Lorraine are, uh, are gender rolled as shit. <laughs> they really are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. But, uh, yeah. And I feel, I, you know, I'm sure that's the way they were. A super, I, yeah. super religious couple in the seventies. Yeah, I know. I know. This is part of me that thinks like, yeah, maybe this is how uh, their di- dynamics actually worked out. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. It's, a, it's something about, uh, them turns me off a little bit. And, um, did, I, I feel like, uh, it took away from this movie a little. Sure. Sure. I thought it was more egregious in the first one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, Zero to five things that Ed fixes for you in your house because you're not man enough to do it. What do you give this movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I for, for me it was, it was a fun film, and uh, I thought I thought I liked the characters a little bit better, and uh, some good jump scares, and uh, the nun was uh, looked pretty cool, um, and great chem work as we talked about. So I, I think I'd give it four. Ed thinking he can fix everything in my house better than I can uh, films. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I give it three and a half. Ed knowing he can fix things better in your house than you can. <laughs> That's true. He just knows it. <laughs> uh, wow. So he's pretty consistent with the first one then, huh? Yeah. I give them both the exact same. Okay, cool. cool. I feel like when I saw each of them in the theater, I was like, oh, that's like a four or a five. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and that speaks to like that moment where I had chills, even though I was kind of laughing at myself for having it. I think the movie really knows how to play an audience and it really translates to a theater experience. Sure. Oh yeah. Great theater experience. That being it's, said, it's a, I'll probably a, watch the third one on HBO max. Oh, is it going to be on there? Yeah. Ah, oh, that's great. That's awesome. I'm flirting hey. with the idea of going back to a theater, but I can't decide. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might be a, a, a while for me. How upset are you going to be if one of them doesn't die in the next one? I won't be upset at all because I know that won't happen. Really? Because they don't die in real life. Yeah, that's true. I guess I guess they gotta stick with the source material. Um, oh, their daughter—you see them for like a minute in this movie. Uh, any, and she's like the the most random character. Like she's in the first one, I'm sure, for like <laughs> yeah, five minutes she, too. She just like walks by the camera. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was a ghost. Like <laughs> no one was like looking well, at her. It's funny too because they're like, we just gotta like hang out with this family and get them back on track. Meanwhile, their daughter's just at home like. <laughs> yeah. Mom? <laughs> walks in, just walks in, like, pours herself a bowl of cereal. She's, like, sitting at a table about... with two giant dummies. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I'm here. I, I wonder if she's going to have a bigger role in the, in the third one or 
I don't know. I just feel like this, this, they're building up their, this relationship with the Warrens, uh, so much over the last two films, like some loss has to come there. Right. And why not use that as a vulnerability? Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. 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 I'm excited. Yeah. They kind of did in the first one. Yeah, they did. There was, I remember that there was like a, a scary sequence there. Yeah. Or maybe she'll come onto the scene as a ghost fighter with that swagger. Oh, yeah. She takes after her dad. She just comes in, like, holding a boombox up to her ear. Yeah. 1981. Maybe the, maybe she has a boombox. <laughs> That's what this is all been building up to, that scene. <laughs> what, is, what does the Warren Swagger look like in an 80s youth? Yeah. Yeah, I'm really curious now. That, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe she's got like a leotard and sweatbands on or something. Oh man, I hope so. Yeah, I'd be so disappointed if that's not it. <laughs> okay, man. Anything else before we uh, get going? Uh, no, that's all I got. All right, cool. Well, that has been our discussion on The Conjuring Two. Everybody, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find our show. Thank you so much to those of you who have done that already. If you want to connect with us, you can find us at horrormovieclub.com. In the social links drop down, you'll find links to our Facebook and Twitter. That's where we announce what movie we're going to cover next week. There's also a link there to our Discord if you want to hop on and just talk with us and a bunch of other movie fans and listeners who are just hanging out, talking to each other all day, mostly about horror movies, but sometimes just shooting the shit. So... Come on there and join us. Um, if you want to support us financially and gain access to some bonus episodes, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash horrormovieclub or the big orange Patreon button on our website, horrormovieclub.com. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her at etsy.com by searching Amy Mae Popart, all one word. And if you go there, you can also search for Horror Movie Club Coaster Set, find that, and use the code MOVIECLUB, all caps, to get a discount on that awesome coaster set one of which is our logo the rest are uh pop art versions of some of our favorite characters from horror movies so i encourage anyone who's remotely interested in that to go look at the image it's such a cool coaster set until next time always carry a pen and pad of paper in case you encounter a demon that happens to be drunk and give you its name by mistake <laughs> That was happens to me when I go out to a bar. <laughs> yeah, get those demon dishes.